Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray, and I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And I really appreciate you guys stopping in and uh, maybe take an hour out of your time to listen to what we feel is a very important and valuable show that we're going to uh, present to you today. And the Housing Hour, of course, is brought to you by Mortgage Investors Group. I want to thank them for all of their support. And also want to know so that you guys know how to plug in with us, you can go to thehousinghour.com. Um, that is where the treasure trove of information is. We have all of our past shows. You can listen live. You can download our app. You can do all of that right there. Um, you can also um, go to facebook.com slash the housing hour. It's a little social media thing that they just started a few years back. I'm kidding. Um, and then also Twitter at the housing hour. You can find us there as well. Um, so we definitely want you guys to plug in with us, interact with us. Um, and let us know what you guys want to hear about. But as everybody knows, we've been talking about it a little bit. We, um, as an organization, Mortgage Investors Group, is celebrating our 25th year in uh, Tennessee. And um, part of that is we decided that we wanted to really highlight and try to benefit a worthy um, uh, organization um, in the country. We didn't limit it to Tennessee. It just so happens that St. Jude lives in Memphis, Tennessee. But we chose St. Jude Children's Research Hospital because they're just awesome, <laughs> I guess, is basically the way it c- comes to. Um, and so later this year, um, in September, as a matter of fact, September 22nd, we're going to have the inaugural um, 2014 MIG Charity Classic, and um, it's benefiting St. Jude, and we're so excited about that. And there's a lot that goes into uh, an event like this. We want to bring awareness. It's not just the golfing event swinging for St. Jude, but it's also bringing awareness to what St. Jude is, how that you can help. Um, and we have over 85,000 past clients, and we want those folks to understand and know what it is that St. Jude offers um, our community, our state, our country, our world, for that matter. So um, what better way to do that than to talk directly to some of the people that were affected by um, child that who had cancer and their story and how they um, came through that and, and made it to the other side? And so that's what we're going to do. We're talking today um, to two different sets of people. And um, Vivian's just one person, but Vivian um, Laws, and we'll have her um, here in the next segment. And then we also, which we're going to start with, Jeff uh, Moody and Mandy Moody. And their uh, daughter, Leela, was diagnosed with um, retinoblastoma back in 2012. April 5th is the day that they found this out, which set off a course of events that no parent um, whatever want to have happen, you'd never dream in a million years that you would be faced with. But I want to um, talk with Jeff and, and Mandy here and talk about their experience and, and what all of the different steps and what happened and how this all culminated to what today we have a very healthy um, young girl. Um, and how old is uh, Leela? First of all, welcome. Thank you for coming in. How, how old is Leela now? She's two. She's two. Awesome. That is so fantastic. And, and she's healthy. And, yes. and you guys are going every six weeks. And yes. and so why don't we start back at the beginning? Um, and I'm sorry I'm doing so much talking, but I want to set it up. Um, I heard an interview that you did, Jeff, and it was um, sometime in the last year or so. And you talked about um, how in 2007 you had an experience that 
possibly was planted in your head for a reason. Talk about that. In uh, 2007, I happened to be watching the NBA playoffs that night. Normally not uh, something I watch, but I, that night I just happened to turn the television on. And uh, there was a lot of discussion about Derek Fisher, who uh, was playing for the Jazz at the time. And they were playing in Los Angeles and in the playoffs. And he was going to be late and may not even make it to the game. And uh, he came at halftime, ended up having a great game. Uh, and then after the um, after the game, he had an, a lengthy press conference where he was talking about his daughter and his daughter's cancer and that she was in New York being treated. And um, so five years later in 2012, when Mandy asks me if I see something in Leela's eye, I don't think it's nothing or I don't and I don't think oh no this is something serious the first two words to my mind were Derek Fisher mm-hmm. and then for some reason I mean that I just thought about that and remembered him speaking about his daughter's cancer and so I went uh, on the internet and found out that she too had retinoblastoma mm-hmm. and that's what began the the our journey mm. and and what's amazing to me of course um a public figure, you know, a lot of attention was paid to it. And, you know, they talked about it being a very rare disease or cancer, which it is. Um, and when you, when you came to him, you know, Mandy, um, and you said, Hey, I see something here. And, and, and you as a mother, you know, were just very, is so clear to you. It spoke, you know, you knew there was something wrong. And normally the, the father's kind of reaction is, well, there's an explanation, you know, right. there's always an explanation, but you really felt something, didn't you? Right. Well, retinoblastoma, it shows up as like a glow mm-hmm. in her eye. And I just want to explain that. So when you take a picture of somebody, sometimes their eyes, you know, are yellow. They look like mm-hmm. they glow, but it was in normal light. Like it wasn't right. a picture. I just happened to be getting her out of her car seat and I saw her six, eye glowing, six weeks old. a six-week-old mm-hmm. baby. And so I put her in the same place when Jeff came home from work and was like, do you see this? Because he's my voice of reason okay, this is nothing, or maybe we should talk to the doctor about it next time you go, you know. Mm -hmm. I thought, I was kind of hoping he would not think it was a big deal. But then immediately he thought Derek Fisher, and Mm -hmm. we Googled it, which, you know, you're not supposed to do. (laughs) So so when that happened, your all's thoughts were, well, thankfully you had a family member that was pediatrician or going to school to be one of your cousin, and so you made a call to her, correct? Yes, yeah, she had just finished her residency in pediatrics at UAB in Alabama, and mm-hmm. I called her and said, "I'm a little nervous." I sent her the we had, were able to take a good picture, and I sent her the picture, and she told me uh, very honestly that there was really not a lot our pediatrician was going to be able to do. That the type of test that she needed could only be done by a pediatric ophthalmologist, and so her words to me, which I, I think we'll remember forever, were. Don't worry, but don't wait. Yeah, that's something I wrote down. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the next morning we called the pediatrician because we knew we needed to get a referral. And um, we were going, we were scheduled for, and then this was Good Friday, and we were scheduled for an appointment at 10 a.m. And then um, I just wasn't comfortable. And I knew that we needed something. I was worried that we would end up waiting the weekend to see the pediatric ophthalmologist. So Mm -hmm. I cold called. Yeah. The first one in the uh, uh, first one on on the internet who happened to be Dr. Gitchlag over at Children's, yeah. and his receptionist just said, "Please come in. We will figure everything out on the back end. You just you guys need to get in to see the doctor today." So I mean, obviously at this point, 
And I think you mentioned in the interview that I heard, um, there was something stirring in you guys. And, and, you know, you kind of almost felt like there's something more here. This is not just she bumped her head or it was, so you kind of felt there was something happening and, and for you to just go and get that doctor and for them to take you without a referral, I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that the receptionist said, well, we'll work out all the insurance details on the back end. Mm-hmm. And, but what emotionally are you guys going through? I mean, at this point you don't know, but at the same time, I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty. Manny, what were you thinking? I, my personality is I'm not going to go there until right. I have to go there. Mm. And, and so I was just doing the mom thing. Like, what do we need to do? What are the steps? Where do I go? How can I get answers? Right. Jeff definitely knew instantly that it was, I mean, he really thought it was cancer right away. Right. And um, yeah. so he went, he was already kind of grieving the fact that we were about to walk down that road mm-hmm. where I was more, let me just find out first. So you guys go see Dr. Gitchlag, right? Mm-hmm. And they do the CT scan. Right. And once the CT scan is, is done, um, he says it's, it's there's something there, but then he had a, a suggestion which which you guys put into place with the University of Tennessee. Right. He and he said if it it didn't look like other retinoblastomas he had seen, and mm-hmm. so but he wanted a second opinion, and so he called uh, Dr. McMillan, who is a retina specialist at UT Medicine, and asked that to, for him to see us. And so on that Monday, we went to see Dr. McMillan, who uh, did another exam of Leela's eye, and said, "I'm." I, I need to put her under anesthesia to get mm-hmm. a really good look at what's going on. Clearly, the retina is detached. It could be any number, of, uh, one of two things. One is Coates disease, which is uh, a different uh, diagnosis, and then the other is retinoblastoma. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, even from Dr. Gitchelag and Dr. McMillan, that's when we had already begun to hear, if it's cancer, you guys are heading to see Dr. Wilson at St. Jude. So I wanted to step back a moment because I think it's important to – to point out that you guys had only been here about a year, right? Not even. Not, Not even. Had, a year. We had just moved in August to Knoxville. But you guys had plugged in with a small group at church. And, mm-hmm. right. you know, if I could encourage anybody to get in a small group, it's this is one of the reasons because you wanted to be there. And, and it was hard because you, you took the first wave and went right. and you stayed back with the kids, right, initially. For the CT scan part, or right. but you had somebody come to your aid, right? Yeah, that that Friday morning, I uh, Mandy took Leela to see Dr. Gitchlag, and mm-hmm. the CT scan wasn't happening till that afternoon. So okay. I called one of the friends from our small group and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, can you please come and and keep our older?" And she kids? happened to be off that day. Yeah, she was off that day, right. which was wonderful, and yeah. uh, so she came and kept our older two kids. And yeah. I was able to be there for the CT scan. So, so Children's Hospital, which you spoke very highly of, and I do too. They do an amazing job. Um, he went out of his way. He spent like all day almost really working on this, got a hold of Dr. McMillan. He then says he's a retina specialist. He has, I guess, different types of techniques and knows you know, more specifics. So he brought you guys right over, right, and said what you just mentioned, which is, you know, this could be this, it could be that, but we need to do more examinations. We need to 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 put her under anesthesia mm-hmm. and be able to really get in there and scope it out. And that was going to happen pretty quickly, right? Right. Uh, that was so. If we we saw it on April fifth, a Thursday, that Tuesday morning, she went under anesthesia, and we got the preliminary diagnosis of, of mm-hmm. retinoblastoma. When that happens in Knoxville, I mean, there's if the child, if the child, a lot of times they're going to refer them to St. Jude. So when you then heard that news, what exactly can you describe how you felt, Mandy? I mean, when you when you heard that, 
when he said yeah. she has written a blessed Stella. I mean, it just takes your breath away. Like you're, you have a, I mean, one, I'm postpartum, you know, right. I have a six week old baby. So I'm already crazy emotional. Mm. And, um, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> I have to, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you understand. Yeah. Um, and then you tell me that we're about to walk down a really unknown world. You know, we don't, we don't know what we're about to see. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I, I mean, it, it, the unknown is what would, yeah. I think for most people, it's that there's so much to, you know, do in, ahead of us and the road, you just don't have any idea of what's going to happen. And I hear, heard throughout your whole interview, the faith that you fell back on mm-hmm. so many times. And so here you're headed to St. Jude. You've went through this last 72 hours or whatever of just 900 miles per hour. And, you know, you had your faith to fall back on. So, so Jeff, when you guys get that word that you had to go to St. Jude, what are you thinking as a father? I, that's a good question. I, I'm not, I think it just confirmed what I'd already been feeling up until that point when I felt like God had sort of led me to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that moment where um, Mandy up until that point had been really, what are the next steps? And I had grieved up until that point. I think it sort of shifted Mm -hmm. and I took on the mode of, what are the next steps we need to take? And we didn't know much about St. Jude other than we had heard of it, mm-hmm. and we knew that they did uh, research for uh, children's um, children's cancer, and we, that, that was the extent of our knowledge. Um, so Mandy is, is grappling with the fact that this is cancer, and I'm beginning to walk through the process of what does this mean. I'm right. in my second semester of a Ph.D. program. I'm teaching classes at UT. And, you know, we will go to the ends of the earth if we have to, to, right. to get whatever uh, treatment for our daughter that we need. Um, and we would pay whatever we needed to, and that meant for the rest of our lives right. to save our daughter's life. Then, of course, we would do that. But the, the real questions of how – I begin to ask those real questions of how is all of this going to work? Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of fear that's associated not only with um, – what what's going to happen to us as far as our life? You know, are we about to get completely uprooted? But what's going to happen with our daughter? Mm-hmm. What is she looking for um, in in the future? You know, mm-hmm. is this something that is life threatening? Is this something that she, could she be blind? Could she be? Um, is this something she's going to have to face for the rest of her life? Yeah, and those are all questions that no parent should ever have to ask. And, you know, I told you that this time was going to go by so fast, so I'm going to just skip forward a little bit. Um, essentially, for uh, our listeners, the question that you said, you know, I'll, or that you, the statement, I'll go into debt, you know, forever if I have to. And that's one thing that we need to know as uh, Americans and as Knoxvillians and Tennesseans that St. Jude families do not pay not one dollar. They they send it to the insurance, whatever the insurance doesn't pay, St. Jude picks up the bill. And that means flying you to travel. If you need to go to the Memphis Grizzly house that you spoke about mm-hmm. when your initial visit, that's all taken care of. If you have a longer than three month, then the Target Corporation has a, a stay for you in the apartment type homes. And so I heard come across from you um, your passion, and, and I want to talk about what happened and, and when you got to St. Jude. And basically, um, let me just summarize so we can get to the heart of it. And that is that you guys went under some more tests, more tests, and God's hand was all around it because you were able to go through the um, anesthesia and be able to do two um, scans, the MRI and also the NAU or EUA. EUA. <laughs> and so the confirmation was there. Dr. Wilson had what 
is it a he or she? He. He needed to say, definitely, that's what we have. And guess what also? He didn't parse his words. He said, we're going to need to remove this eye. That's that's what we recommend. We, rec- we Certainly, you can get a second opinion. But what in the world? I mean, when they told you all that, there has to be so many emotions that went through that. Start with you, Jeff. I think at that point, I was ready to do whatever we needed to do to save her life. And if that meant her eye uh, needed to, they needed to remove her eye, then that was okay. And from what they told us at the time is they they could remove her eye and hopefully remove all of the, all of the cancer with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from for me, that was where my mind went was let's do whatever we can to treat her the best way that we can. And, and, mm-hmm. and it, but at the same time, this sort of real grieving of oh, my daughter is going to lose an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and here she is and she's six weeks old. And Mandy, I mean, as a mother, you look into your child's eyes and you, you have this heart wrenching thing in front of you. How do you feel during all this? I definitely didn't go to the, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is fine. Right. I mean, especially as a girl, I mean, we want to feel beautiful right. and I couldn't envision how beautiful can look without an eye. And I really struggled with, she's going to be a teenager and people are going to make fun of her. And those Mm. are just real things that you deal with. And um, we sat down, I guess the night, that night after, and he just, Jeff just said, you know that if we remove her eye, we remove the cancer. And it's like that had not clicked with me. Like, okay, you know, Mm. that's, that's right. You know, the Lord will be faithful. We will remove the eye and she will no longer have cancer. Yeah, and he, uh, Dr. Wilson, which I think is very good of him, said, look, you know, second opinion, certainly, and they may have a different treatment option, um, but you guys chose, because this is the way I looked at it when I listened to your, when I listened to your interview, and we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to get to a couple of other things, but you guys said, you know what, God has put us in this hospital through all these things that have happened, and these folks are here for our best interest. We're at the best hospital in the world for this. And they're saying this is what needs to be done. We don't want to wait for another right. opinion. Right. And you made the decision. So if you could describe that kind of quickly, because I don't have a lot of time, but tell me how that all came about. Sure. I mean, as people of faith, we have to ask the real question. I mean, we know and believe that God can heal her. Um, and that takes a step of faith. But for us, the step of faith was we need to trust that God has put us here at this time for this reason under the care of St. Jude and these doctors. And we need to believe mm-hmm. that uh, this was this was his plan. And that was a, a hard step for us to take, but one we knew that God was, was leading us to. And not that there's the surgery happened. The surgery went out flawless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the doctor came, and I only have one minute, so I'll explain it. Um, the doctor came back to you and said, you know, guess what? You know, in the end result, when we did remove the eye, it appears that the tumor had been bleeding. Any treatment would have been a real mess. I think he used a different term, but it it, it concreted for you that you had made the right choice. And St. Jude was in fact right. And a second opinion would have taken you down a journey maybe that you didn't really want to go. So, well, and I want to tell you guys, we're going to have, um, we're going to have uh, Mandy come and do a, a talk with us later this month um, at Cherokee. We're raising money for our tournament, and we're so excited about that. But Jeff and Mandy Moody, thank you guys for sharing your story with us, and I look forward to a new relationship, a uh, friendship with you guys. So thanks so much, and thank we'll be you. right back in a moment with Vivian Laws right after these messages.
The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into The Housing Hour. I am Kevin Ray. I'm your host here at The Housing Hour. The show is brought to you by Mortgage Investors Group. And uh, what an amazing conversation that we had there with uh, Jeff and Mandy. It was um, so great to catch up with them and learn more about them. And I did want to mention that because it was something that I, I did not have time to get to, but um, Leela ended up having a, a, a prosthetic eye put in. Is that the right word for it? Okay. And, and you can't even tell. When you look um, at a picture or, or into her eye, you, you cannot tell. They did such an amazing job at St. Jude. So I did want to mention that. Um, and we look forward to a long relationship um, with the Moody's. And so we have our next guest here. So our next guest is Vivian, Vivian Laws. She was 13 when she was diagnosed um, with cancer. And um, the uh, Courtney, I have to give her credit here because she is our, our kind of our um, our liaison, if you will, to St. Jude. And and she did a great job um, introducing me to these folks and um you know, teaching me the lingo, I guess you could say. And, and she's just done, a, she's helped us a lot in our committee to um, really kind of get to where we are. And Vivian was one of the people, and I cannot remember exactly the first time I heard her story, but um, I heard it recently because it, the St. Jude did a video and it was put up and um, I immediately put it up on our site, which um, is migcharityclassic.com. If you want to go to it, we'll have it on the housinghour.com as well. Um, but Vivian's story, for me, it was very powerful because it was somebody that I could see the tape play all the way through. You could see her being diagnosed. You could see her going through that struggle. You could see her coming out the other side and then what she's doing today with it. That's what amazed me about Vivian's story. So, Vivian, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And, um, you know, let's start really with talking about how this all came about. Um, and you're now... Um, passionate about giving back to St. Jude. So telling your story is one of the ways. It's probably the single most powerful way that you can give back. But you were 13 and you were a cheerleader. Talk about what happened so that you discovered this and, and just talk a little bit about that. When I was in the seventh grade, I was just in middle school and I was a base on my cheer squad. Um, it was two weeks before my 13th birthday when I started to feel a dull throbbing pain in my knee. Hmm. And I just thought that it was a cheerleading injury. Mm. And so I would take it easy at practice. I wouldn't stretch as much. I wouldn't lift the girls on my knee anymore, which was horrible because it was my favorite part of practice, my sure. favorite part of cheer. And it was more difficult throughout the weeks to walk to classes in school. And I was so concerned that I wasn't going to be able to cheer at all in our in our next competition. So. I looked at my leg one night just to reach down and rub it because it was aching. And I felt a large lump next to my kneecap. And it wasn't even there that morning. So oh, wow. I was shocked to feel that that lump on and my that leg. And that probably would have contributed to my thought, well, maybe this is an injury, but I don't remember an injury. Right. I don't remember any specific time injuring my leg or any or any certain time where I fell on my leg or anything. So when I felt this lump, I knew that, that there was something there that was not supposed to be there. So you went to your parents? I immediately showed it to my parents. Mm. And I think that in the back of their mind, 
they thought it could be something more than just a sprain or a cheer injury. But to me, that never occurred. Well, it's amazing because the Moody's said that too. It's something that a parents have innate in them that, oh, my baby girl, there's something else going on here. Absolutely. So you guys went to the doctor. You went to Children's? No, I actually live in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. So I went to just my my regular family physician. Mm-hmm. And I remember going there like it was yesterday because it was homecoming week and it was crazy hair day, ironically. Oh, wow. So I was dressed up as Wendy from the fast food restaurant oh. and I had my hair sprayed red and fixed up in pipe cleaner and braids. Wow. And I remember the doctor just really wanted to play with my hair yeah. and was more concerned with that than <laughs> looking at my x-rays. Right. But I still remember the fear that I felt when I was sitting on the exam table after the technicians went to look at my x-ray and hearing one of them say, oh my God. And then hearing the other one say, oh my God. Mm. And thinking to myself. I think those are the two things you don't say as technicians. Well, but. <laughs> you probably shouldn't say with an earshot of your patient. Right. But I remember thinking and convincing myself that can't possibly be about me. Mm-hmm. They're talking about right. someone else. Right. And I so, think that, that just as humans, we want to, you know, be positive and think this could not be the worst case scenario. Of course. I was so ready to be there for myself Hmm. and convince myself of anything other than cancer. Right. So the doctor did the x-ray and he came and talked to you and your parents. Yes. And what did he say? Well, he sat there and he said, there is something in your leg that's not supposed to be there. Hmm. And I'm thinking, duh, there's something (laughs) wrong with my leg. So I'm sitting on the exam table and he lists off a thing. He lists off maybe 20 things that could be wrong with my leg. And among those things, he said a tumor. Mm -hmm. And I stopped him when he said a tumor. And I said, you mean tumor as in cancer? And he said, yes, but that's so very rare. And Mm. you're so young. So, so please don't worry about that. You have no need to worry about that. So that kind of, which is an honest answer on, I mean, if you look at the percentage of people who, so honestly, and I said, I sat there and I, I wasn't as worried as I was. And I left that day feeling confident that they were going to figure out what my cheer injury was specifically, Mm. maybe a stress fracture is what I was leaning towards. Was that one of the 20 things? Yes. Oh, okay. A stress fracture. Or just a sprain or a cyst. Mm-hmm. They were they were talking a lot about there could be a cyst on my bone. What were the next steps to determine what it really was? They wanted to get another opinion, mm-hmm. and they wanted to get another scan. So I went that next day, and I saw a doctor who was supposed to, an ortho an um, orthopedic doctor who was just supposed to view my X-ray. Mm-hmm. And so I went there, and he said we would just get you an MRI, which is what you what we really want you to have. But there are so many people in Memphis who need MRIs and so few MRI machines Hmm. that that's going to be nearly impossible to do anytime soon. Hmm. Then he left the room soon after because my x-ray had been faxed to him. Mm -hmm. And he nearly ran back in the room after seeing it and said, there's an opening for an MRI in 10 minutes. If you can make it there, then we'll see you. So he probably maybe saw something that that led him to believe it wasn't an injury or a stress fracture or a cyst that it could be something 
more on the extreme side, like a, a cancerous tumor. Absolutely. So 10 minutes, you're on your way, right? And, and I'm and in that And you're all for it, right? You're, oh, I'm ready yeah. to go. And mm-hmm. I just am kind of excited about having an MRI because right. I never <laughs> had a scan like that before. And I wanted to tell my friends at school about it. <laughs> you so, have to be very still, I understand. Oh, yes. And that's very hard for me. <laughs> so after the MRI, they said, again, there's something there that's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school that same day. And then my dad checked me out for the second time that day. Mm-hmm. And I had already I had already been checked out to have the MRI. Mm-hmm. So I go to my dad and I say, why are you checking me out? It's my favorite class of the day. I'm in film and video. Mm-hmm. And he says the doctor forgot to tell us something. Oh. And I'm persistent. Why mm-hmm. didn't he just tell us over the phone? And he says he wanted to tell us in person, just something he wanted to tell us in person. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Dr. Michael Neal, who... Mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time, but as an orthopedic oncologist in Memphis, mm. but my parents knew. Right. So I went to his office and that was the very first time that I got to see my own x-ray. Mm-hmm. And it was a bright light, a very bright light over my knee. And it was a perfect circle. And it still never occurred to me that mm-hmm. it could be anything other than a cyst or a stress fracture. So Dr. Neal took me to his exam room. And we sat down there, my dad, my mom, and I. And he said immediately, Vivian, this is going to be hard for me to tell you. And this is going to be hard for you to hear. But we believe you have a textbook case of osteosarcoma. And I'm thinking, come again? What right. is that? I've right. never heard of that in my life. And right. it's two weeks before my 13th birthday. So, Well, let me ask you this. When he did tell you that, because I, I heard you say in the video that I saw, I mean, you're, it was almost like you had an immediate resolve. It, it was almost like, and that may not have been the case. The video was, you know, it was sliced it up. So it got, you know, four minutes. But how did you feel when he told you that? And you realized that that could be a possibility. No child at 12 years old should ever have to hear this. But you are hearing it. And how did that make you feel? Everyone always asks me, yeah. how do you feel when you're diagnosed with cancer? And it's hard for me to answer that question with just one word, because right. there there are so many different emotions going through my mind mm-hmm. in this moment that I don't even cry at first. Mm-hmm. I just scooted back on the exam table because I thought passing out and hitting the floor was inevitable. Right. So I don't cry until I look up and I see my parents and they are just beside themselves. And my mom mm. is shaking her, her head saying no over and over again. And... That's when it hits me, I'm going to die. There was no doubt in my mind at that moment, at 12 years old, and I had just lost both my grandparents Mm. within six months of each other the previous year to cancer. So to me, that was a death sentence. Oh, man, Vivian, that you didn't get that detail in the video. I'm glad you didn't. I might not have been able to make it through work. So (laughs) when you say that to yourself, again, no child should feel that way. But um, at what point? Did you feel there was a hope, there was hope and a solution? When Dr. Neal said that I already have an appointment set up for you tomorrow at St. Jude Mm. and that's the best place for you. Mm. And you walked through those doors because you were referred to St. Jude and you spoke about the murals and it being just an uplifting, which you are, you're, you have a very positive spirit. When you came in here, she just has a very bright spirit. (laughs) And, And so it fits you perfectly. Right. So how'd you feel when you walked in there? Cause you still have the cancer. I mean, you got a long road to hoe and we'll talk right. about that in a minute, but. So I walk into the doors of St. Jude and 
so many different things are going through my mind. I'm choking back tears every step I take. But I always I always talk about how confused I was mm-hmm. that this was a cancer research facility and there were children here who had catastrophic illnesses mm-hmm. who were struck with these deadly diseases and fighting for their lives, but they were laughing and joking and riding on tricycles Mm -hmm. and in red flyer wagons. Mm -hmm. And they were riding their IV poles like scooters. (laughs) They were murals on the wall and it was just bright and such a happy place. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't scared to be in this hospital. I I think that one of the biggest things about St. Jude is that they create, I mean, a big part of survival is that you have a positive spirit. And I think that's one of the things that they capitalized on through Danny's vision and continued is that this is hope. I mean, this is hope. And so you were there for treatment and, and, and at some point it had to have hit you that I have cancer and I'm going to lose my hair and I'm going to have to take chemo and it's my birthday. Right. And it's my birthday and I'll cry if I want to. Right. <laughs> now, I was supposed to have chemotherapy on October 17th. It was going to be my first round, but that was my birthday. Mm-hmm. So St. Jude said, we don't want you to have to have chemotherapy on your birthday. Mm-hmm. So they put it off one day and they threw me a birthday party. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great experience. It was my, my very first few days at this hospital with cancer. And I just had this group around me, mm. the support system around me. Yeah. And I, I never, ever felt alone yeah. at St. Jude. That, that is awesome. And, and so you had a really tough battle because you had surgeries, you had chemo, you lost your hair. You had, it wasn't an easy, hey, let's go and have this done and then you're going to come out the other side. I mean, you almost lost your leg. I mean, right. it, it was at the very last moment that they were able to, and, and, Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time, but I, I think it's amazing what St. Jude does with the limb saving program that they have and the rod that is growing with, that grew with your leg through the magnetic treatments and how they share that with all uh, of the world. But talk about your treatment and, and, and how you, you almost lost hope. So I had four rounds of chemotherapy. And after that, they went in for my limb spraying, my limb spraying surgery. Mm-hmm. So what they did then was they removed my tibia, which is a cancerous bone, wow. and they replaced my tibia with a titanium rod. And I did not have the rapithesis, which is the guard, which is the prosthetic that grows with your leg, but I had oh, the guardian okay. mm-hmm. um, because my growth plates were closed and I was oh. supposed to be done. Well, you're growing. thirteen, yeah, right at that point. So they, literally thirteen, literally just, just thirteen years <laughs> old. So they replaced my tibia and my knee joint and into my femur and into my ankle bone was a titanium rod. And coming out of the surgery, I went to the ICU for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they had to check the necrosis of my tumor, which means the percentage of the tumor that is killed with the cancer. Mm -hmm. And anything above 90% is good. Mm -hmm. Mine was not even to 70%. Mm -hmm. So that was a horrible day finding that out. And so we had to add, well, I had the decision to make. Do I want to add another chemotherapy and risk kidney damage, liver damage, and maybe not be able to have a child? Mm. And I'm deciding these things at 13 years old. Mm. I'm making these types of decisions. And I decided I wanted to have every type of chemotherapy that I could to Mm. save my life. Mm. So after that, I had an entire year of chemotherapy. Um, I was almost done before finding out I had staph infection. So from that, I had five more surgeries and they were able to save my leg. 
oh, well, you do such a well good job of, of telling the story. And it, it's amazing because in the video, of course, it goes a little quicker than that. But um, at the end of the day, they did save your leg. And you did get the treatment you needed. And your parents, I'd love to meet them someday, but they have their baby girl back. And and she's alive and she's thriving. I, I mean, she's sitting across from me right now and she has so much life in her. You know, she's beautiful. She has this great spirit about her. And you know what? I, I don't know if St. Jude wasn't there. I, I don't know if this, if we would be talking right now. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. I don't know. But, I don't want to know. Yeah. So um, you decided after you graduated high school um, try Delta. Is that the name of the organization? Yes, they, try Delta. So, so they're that. I mean, their charity is St. Jude. I mean, they're huge. They've raised, I think, over a million, how, 25, $25 million dollars. I think Courtney, didn't you have some? Yeah. So, but talk about that in the last minute. We don't have much time, okay. but talk about your relationship. So, there. when I got to college, it's an entirely new experience, and I just felt so at home at Try Delta. So I pledged, and our philanthropy is St. Jude. Mm -hmm. So now I've had the opportunity to work for St. Jude in a way that I never imagined possible. And I've I've gotten the opportunity to be appointed the position of assistant philanthropy chair for Tri-Delta at UT Knoxville. And that has just provided me with so much hope that not only during my treatment, but after my treatment, I can share my story mm -hmm. and share my battle and just bring awareness to childhood cancer. Because when you hear the word cancer, you you don't really, I think that people are afraid of it and they don't want to hear a lot about it, mm -hmm. but I want people to know. Well, you do an amazing job with how you communicate and that's probably why you're a public relations major. <laughs> and I think one of the things that I heard you say in that video that spoke to me and will stay with me forever is that you don't want to know or you don't know what it would be like, what you would be so passionate about had you not went through this. And clearly God had a plan for you and you're living that plan right now. Yes, it's my plan to yeah. support St. Jude forever. And yeah. I am so passionate about St. Jude and, and I'll never stop sharing my story. Nobody yeah. nobody can make me stop. Right. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep on. I don't think anybody on. will ever make you stop. So <laughs> thank you, Vivian, for coming in and thank sharing you. those experiences with us. And we will be right back after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back, everybody, into the Housing Hour. I wanted to mention um, Admiral Title because they are also sponsoring our Tea Off Luncheon um, April 24th at Cherokee Country Club. And they're also one of our key uh, sponsors for this show. Admiral Title is a wonderful place, and we'd love for you guys to partner with them in your home real estate closing. 865-531-6060. That is their number. Been saying it for a long time. I should never forget it. Um, we're now back in here with uh, Courtney uh, Kizak with St. Jude. And we're so thankful for you, Courtney. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank She's you. like carpooling in, patience, and <laughs> helping Vivian get here and all that. And uh, we really appreciate all the hard work that you do for St. Jude. And I know it's because of people like you, um, I believe your boss, Allison, and others in your all's organization because you're some of the brightest minds coming out of college. You graduated from Vanderbilt, if you don't mind me saying. Don't say that yeah, here. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah. That's okay. That's all right. But, but you know, you guys could do just about anything. And, and you know, that's so true. You could have done pretty much anything you wanted to, but St. Jude was where you found yourself. I don't want to make this all about you because I could pretty easily. But um, let's talk about St. Jude a little bit because St. Jude, it costs – 
a couple of, about a million or more. How much does it cost per day? $1.9 million a day to wow. run the hospital. So right. it, it really is incredible that that's how much it costs, but that 75% of all of our funding comes from the public. Mm-hmm. It comes from individual uh, donors. And for the most part, that's about $35 at a time. Our average gift is is about $35. So that's what keeps a $1.9 million a day organization running is individuals, which really right. is incredible. And it's people in Knoxville, it's people across the country and really across the world who contribute um, to to the incredible research that's done at St. Jude. And you're a part of a team that is incredible because the marketing and the fundraising leg, if you will, mm-hmm. of St. Jude is really incredible because you guys have so many events going and you have so much support for the people that are wanting to partner with St. Jude and you have so much material. And I just can't believe all of the resources that you guys have provided. Um, and one of the things that you guys do, one of the reasons you do this is because there's stuff that is happening. You have innovations happening every day. Talked about the limb um, saving program. You have this proton. I mean, there's all kinds of things that our money will be going to, but do, what's some of the new stuff? The proton is something yeah. that's coming up, well, right? We have opening in 2015 the Proton Therapy Center, mm-hmm. and this is going to be unlike anything um, for children in the United States. It's the only, um, the, it's the first proton radiation therapy center in the world dedicated solely to children. Mm-hmm. And this means that they're going to be targeting so precisely these brain tumors that children will not have the after effects that they've experienced with traditional radiation and with other forms of radiation, that their brains will be able to continue to develop normally mm-hmm. because of this precise laser therapy um, that they're developing at St. Jude and nowhere yeah. else in the world. One of the big side effects of treatment for a brain tumor mm-hmm. is from the radiation, exactly. right? And that's what St. Jude is working towards is that they have um, moved that overall cancer survival rate up to around 80% right now. We're looking to move it to 90% by 2020. And Oh, that's amazing. And for St. Jude, that's not even good enough. We want to mm. make sure that these children who we're treating now are not sustaining developmental issues for the rest of their lives because of treatment that they receive for cancer at such a young age. So, oh, man. i tell you, um, Jeff mentioned a story out in his interview about a Central American boy who was brought to St. Jude, mm-hmm. um, referred by somebody, and um, Jeff said that's one of the things he thought about and thinks about because they not only had the pay, they paid them to come here. They didn't right. pay them to come. They, they paid for them, they to, paid come for them to come here and for them to stay here. The treatment was every three weeks. There was no way they could go back to Central America and ship them back every three weeks. So St. Jude took care of that, housed them in yes. housing. I mean, we it's have, amazing. St. Jude pays for everything. No family ever receives a bill from St. Jude, and that includes treatment, travel, housing, and food. And it's because of individuals and companies like mortgage investors groups and media groups like News Talk. We're so appreciative of y'all mm-hmm. for continuing um, to give and to be gracious with these families like Jeff and Mandy Moody and their daughter, Leela, mm-hmm. and for families like the Laws family and Vivian. So we just oh, appreciate man. it so much. Absolutely. And, you know, that moment when people find out that their child has cancer, they're is a lot of that goes on in your mind. And as a father, certainly the the health of your child is huge, but you also think, you know, I'm the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to make these payments. This is going to bankrupt us. And you, But St. Jude comes in like a superhero, basically, yep. with a big white horse. And with a, I mean, it's amazing what they do. And, and so we thank St. Jude and people like you for what you do. You keep thanking us. Stop <laughs> thanking us. We want to thank you for what you guys do and for what you do for our world. So... Wow. 
Thank it's you. amazing. So we want to thank Courtney. We want to thank Vivian. We want to thank Jeff. We want to thank Mandy. We want to th- thank Leela. We want to thank Vivian's parents for the principles they instilled in her for her to be such a articulate young woman and what she's doing in her life. And we want to thank our listeners, most importantly, that you guys come in every week and listen to us and thank Mark, our co-host, and also Landon, our producer. We'll see you guys next week right here on The Housing Hour. That's The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.